Hello and welcome to episode two of series four of Cherry Jam. Myself, Ed Price, Jim Harley and James Eastwood, also known as Stoey. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for joining me. Um, it's a bit of a weird one this evening because um, we're kind of against the, the clock. We want to get this out uh, today, Wednesday, as we record. Um, first of all, we'll just cover off the fairly large elephant in the room. Um, that is Her Majesty. Um, obviously uh, passed away last Thursday and I'm not going to add too much more to the fact that unfortunately that has caused a bit of a knock-on effect in terms of um, what, uh, what's been going on in terms of sport. Thankfully rugby did continue and I thought, I don't know about you Jim, Snowy, I thought it was very well, it, it was incredibly well observed on uh, Sunday in terms of the minute silence and then the God Save the King. I thought it was quite a nice quite touching moment generally. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think I've heard um, a silence as quiet you know, no. there were clearly noises from outside of the ground, people that weren't privy to it. But um, yeah, very respectful. Yeah. How did it come across on, set on telly? No. I didn't see it on telly. Oh, OK. <laughs> I watched I watch the game on telly, but I didn't see them in silence. No, before. Fair enough. That's fine. Yeah. Again, echo Jim's thoughts. It was immaculately observed and um, uh, as you'd expect, to be honest. Um, right. Moving on. Let's just talk about the game now. They say that rugby is a game of two halves. I think never clearly more more clearly demonstrated is what happened on Sunday. I'm going to let Jim and Snowy just talk about the game because, um, yeah, it was an interesting one. Just go ahead, guys. Do you want to go first, Jim? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose I'd better talk about the first half. <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah, you that's a good idea. Yeah, if you can go first, you talk about the first half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I thought it was an incredibly brave tactic to not compete in the slightest at any of Wasps' attacking rucks, which gave them incredibly quick ball and a huge amount of go forward without any real pressure. Um, unsurprisingly, that resulted in significant amount of possession and territory. Of course, when we got the ball, um, we put in a rather telegraphed box kick without really the greatest of pressure. A couple of times it worked-ish, but predominantly we just gave them the ball back and let them do it again. So um, I think 21-0, we were probably lucky. It could easily have been uh, a 28 or a 30 something nil scoreline. Um, we did not really pose any attacking threat at all. So it was very, very concerning. But I did figure that George would be given the hairdryer treatment a little bit. And of course, not just doing a lot of shouting, changing the game plan. And maybe that flags a little bit of a, an issue that the guys on the pitch, and we've got a lot of senior guys on the pitch, None of them had a little huddle. You know, at 20 minutes, we get an allocated water break. So there is a stoppage. And none of them went, you know what, boys, this isn't really working. Should we try something different? So that's a little bit of a concern because clearly it's going to happen in games that the game plan isn't working in the future. If anything, but yeah. if anything, we got worse as the half went on, didn't we? And it yeah. was it was George Skivington's remarks afterwards. I think he does interview quite well, but it, it was slightly odd that he, he felt that we were in the game and we didn't take our chances and it was a few just small moments that cost us and they took all of their chances whereas that wasn't my reading of it at all I thought everything we tried was didn't work where every time we kicked the ball away it was a turnover of possession in not a great area um, we were fumbling balls we were 
slipping off tackles, it, we were a long way second best and the scoreboard was probably an accurate reflection. If not, we were lucky not to have had the game completely put past us. Um, yeah. yeah, first half yeah. was horrific. And the, the other thing I, I don't like about it is that we had a lot of that last season where we, we played for 20, 30 minutes, got away with results. And very rarely did we look a complete side for the full 80 minutes. Um, and I think if we if you sort of reflect back on this game, and I'll touch on the good bits in the second half soon, but w- what's frustrating is they've, they've gone out to play a style of rugby and have then had to have it fired into them at half-time that they just need to relax and play play rugby, play the ball, move the ball around. So where are they getting confused between that sort of structured approach that never works? We Over the last two years, we know that that whole giveaway possession, high up defence, forced pressure on the opposition just doesn't work for Gloucester. We have to play with the ball. Why are we still reverting back to that? So if that's not coming from the coaches, where is it coming from? Because it doesn't feel like it's our natural style of play, especially when Charlie Chapman's doing it. Because I think... <laughs> We've blamed it on other scrum ass, but if Chapman's starting, we don't expect him to be sitting in the pocket and just kicking every single ball away, regardless of where it is on the pitch. Yeah. There's a couple of things I highlighted. I noted down before um, the pod. Um, Leadership. Jim's kind of touched on it, really, which was on the field. We did seem to miss Lewis Ludlow um significantly and it surprised me a little bit because it's not like the first time we uh you know Ludlow wasn't playing uh in a game you know we've, we had games last season where Ackerman was captain or Harris was captain or whoever and I didn't think we ever missed him that much but it did seem quite striking that Ackerman seemed a bit off his game more generally I think he, he'd probably be the first to admit to say he'd struggled it's rare you see Ackerman get replaced yeah, um, I, I did wonder actually um, whether the captaincy, I don't know, no, he's been captain, you know, quite a few times before, but whether that additional pressure just got to him a little bit. He was warned a couple of times by the referee um, of his language towards the touch judge. Um, so, yeah, I think clearly in that first half, we weren't getting the rub of the green. There was a lot of, you know, um, a lot of penalties were going to Wasps and against us um, and you can say potentially you know it does happen in games sometimes the referee kind of just looks the one way and then they just carry on looking that way in the second half so the penalty count evens out um, I, there might have been a little bit of that um, but I just think talking to the referee and that that ability to get the referee on on side just for whatever reason, definitely escaped Ackerman on mm. on Sunday, and, yeah. and obviously that put us on the back foot on the penalty count to start with. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think I, I wouldn't blame Ackerman at all for, and, and I, I take point Snow's point about the the game plan and the res, the reverting to the kicking game, etc. I didn't feel I, I I didn't feel that we were kicking in the wrong areas. So I, I think one of the things we did do a little bit too much, probably the beginning of last season, um, and I agree with Snowy about uh, quite broadly about his point, which was that playing that kicking game kind of across the pitch, maybe even in there in the opposition half, is kind of self-defeating because you just turn the ball over. But I didn't feel that we were playing, we were kicking in the wrong areas per se, but we didn't vary it enough at all. There were a couple of occasions when um, 
yes, we could have just returned the kick, the box kick, like we had been, but why not? Out of, after nine times it hasn't worked why not have a look and see what's wide there was a couple of occasions particularly where we seem to have a, a little bit of an overlap um, and if we'd gone quickly we would have had a chance or even if you're going to kick it why not try and turn you know get the ball out and try and turn their back three rather than setting up box kick their back three are coming onto the ball which we didn't do yeah well that's the other thing but we we were losing the kicking game mm. So that's, you're doing it for 40 minutes and we we lost every single one. There, there were a couple that Louis Samit sort of got up for and challenged, but even Zammit, if he had... Uh, yeah, Zammit looked Zammit. at the one, but, um, one kick, he just... I mean, he overran one by about 10 metres and then another one, take he, come, them, he was Even if you really take trying. those, you've, you've made 10, 15 metres and you're on the opposition 10 metre line, so it's not even a great gain for the level of risk. And we were losing them left, right and centre. But as you say... Get it out of the 10 and stick it in behind the fullback and force them to clear out because they're in their 22. Yeah. Try and put the pressure on them. But really, it's a 50 50 ball that they don't mind. No. Mm. And, and I think uh, the other thing as well is, it, I mean, we joke with Snowy as, as people who are regular listeners of the pod that Snowy quite likes Dan Robson. Um, in, an, in another life, they would have been very happy together, I think. Um, but um, <laughs> um, but to be fair to him, you know, he he ran the show that first 40, 50 minutes to a point. He ran the show um, and him coming off in the second half certainly helped Gloucester. Um, and I'm not again, I wouldn't want to criticise Charlie Chapman, it's, but I don't think that game style or that game plan, as you mentioned, so it is his game, game plan. Or his that's game that's style. what I, I rate Robson I, I so high entirely. because he, he is such a good judge of when it needs to be slowed or yeah. when it needs to be fast. And when it's fast, he sets the tempo for all the backs. Yeah, And that's what he was doing in the first half. He was, as you say, completely running the show, dictating everything that happened. It looked like an international nine on the opposition and a, and a debut nine for us. And yeah. I'm a big yeah. fan of Charlie Chapman, but it, it, he did yeah, it wasn't stalled. a good half. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, I mean, the one thing we can say is we've come out the other side and we'll come on to the positives in a second, that we've come out the other side of it and we've won. And it's a lesson, you know, I think Charlie Chapman, probably that'll be a really good lesson for him. First of all, the kicks, very similar kicks every single time. Robson was varying it. He was putting extra height. He was putting, as you say, going quicker than slower than maybe maybe shaping to go out and then actually getting the ball out into to, uh, to, to the 10 or to the centres. Um, you know, I thought overall that, that first half, clearly you could see Wasps were the dominant side. I mean, I think, Snow, you put in the group, uh, after half time, it was 67.3% uh, uh, territory, sorry, territory, uh, or possession, sorry, and 76.7% um, possession um, uh, for wasps. So basically, it was, it, I mean, yeah, over two thirds, but for both stats, um, and, and in kind of slightly embarrassing from a Gloucester point of view. I think we got into the 22 twice. In the entire first half, I managed to cock it up twice. Oh, the line out was a shambles. Oh yeah, that line was awful. That first, that end of yeah, end of the half line out was dreadful. Um, and the final thing I'll move on, and then we're going to move on to positives. We're going to really focus on the positives because there's lots of positives to take from that second half performance. But the, f- the final one, which was really concerning, because we haven't really seen this for a while, was the total disorganisation in the defence. Now I think it probably lends back to Jim's initial point, which was we weren't competing at the rucks and eventually we were just chasing shadows. And I think the tiredness caught us out. And that certainly towards the end of that first half, Wasps were finding gaps left, right and center. 
yeah, that, that one try that Wasp scored, I don't know whether it was their second, I think it was their third. Um, yeah, they just, I mean, the, the gap they ran through, it, they didn't orchestrate it fantastically to create this gap. They just, you know, first phase and through they go. It was, uh, it looked very, very easy for them. Uh, and yeah, maybe that's, uh, I don't think our preseason, you know, now you can say in hindsight, maybe the Munster and Cardiff victories weren't quite so impressive. Uh, maybe we do need to think about the standard of opposition and see if we can play a team that's a little bit better. Um, or... We were actually missing quite a few like talismanic players, certainly in the in the forwards. Um, but where I was a bit disappointed was our 10, 12, 13. Mm. Um, because that is our first choice, 10, 12, 13 defensively excellent in the second half of last year um and pretty pretty poor um yeah yeah it wasn't i I think we can safely say there's a few lads who played on saturday who are consistently our better players didn't have their best game yeah um and i think you're right to pick out those those positions um and when, when you factor that in with the fact that we were missing a few key ones um alamano carreras um yeah yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, um, now, back row. Back row, yeah. I mean, there's some back row, key back row players. Um, I thought that, I mean, we're moving on to the second half now. That that score so quick and so early into the second half from Reece Samit, which, let, let's be fair, was a hell of a sprint. I mean, he did so well to score that try. Everyone kind of assumes that when he gets the ball, he's going to score. Yeah. But well, his two, boot was ripped, wasn't it? His, his boot was ripped. And well, I think that, he, that makes sense, I think, because his boot was ripped, because he should be absolutely gassed in them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he had, to, he had to curl his toes a bit to stop his boot falling yeah. off. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that just changed the whole atmosphere. I mean, you could tell... The crowd were trying to get into the game in the first half, but it's very difficult when you haven't got the ball, you've got nothing to shout about, and you're literally watching just one team attack the other. As soon as that try was scored, you could hear the roar of the shed, um, and it made such a difference. And then to score another try so quickly afterwards, um, almost a carbon copy of the Wasp second try. Huge gap, prop runs through, offload, offload, yeah. score. Um, and, and it was good. Albert's, Albert's hands, fantastic. Mm. And the belief then... Oh yeah, the belief there. Well, that's it, isn't it? That's, well, how how hard can it be? Well, obviously, very hard. But just, <laughs> it's like it's it's a, it's a very when we start playing like that, it's very simple. We're not we're not suddenly executing like incredibly complex things. What we're doing is people are going into contact hard because they're desperate to win the ball back and try and get to the other end of the pitch and score a try to get a position. It's it's pretty basic stuff. It's like. Right, let's move on to the ball fast and shift it wide because there's gaps everywhere. And suddenly there's this momentum and this intensity. It's like, why can't you do that after 20 minutes? I don't know. It feels like quite often we need that we need that spark of momentum. And almost once we get into that position, especially with our rolling ball, you actually almost expect that we're going to come back. I think probably when we were still sort of 10 points behind, I sort of expected us to win almost unless we really screwed something up. Um, well, because it was I think so. It was, yeah, it was just yeah. when the um, when the penalty count started changing as well. So, as soon as we started getting a few penalties here and there, I think there was um, an offside we got, um, and it was just one of those offsides that probably in the first half they did, but we didn't we didn't get the penalty for. And it was like, all right, oh, brilliant in the corner. Well, that will be that will be another five points, wouldn't it? Surely, and it it was, you know. 
And that's so, why we have to, even when it's not really firing and it wasn't that effective, really, the rolling ball, the reason it's such a weapon is that the laws actually massively support it at the moment. And that is, you can end up in a situation like we had where you've got a penalty try and two yellow cards, which yeah. is just bump from basically one attacking position, which is a complete game decimating outcome. Whereas, you know, in hindsight, they'd just happily walk back and let us score the try. Yeah, true. <laughs> Two players on the pitch still be competing for the next seven yeah. minutes. Yeah, I honestly was... don't know whether I was more pleased with the, the fact that it was a penalty try and I kind of looked at everyone I was stood with and went, that's a yellow card. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or the fact that it was a try because, mm. you know, clearly at that period of the game when, because he missed that kick as well, you know, it was kind of, it was only going to be a six-point lead. Um, the game was going to be in the balance. We knew Wasps were going to throw the kitchen sink at it because they always do. And all of a sudden, we've got a two-person, um, you know, over, uh, overlap pretty much everywhere. Yeah, so all it, the scrums, there were hours to lose from there, wasn't it? Yeah, all the scrums. Well, they were solid because they were playing with yeah. a man down. And and every time we had, the, you know, the ball through hands there should have been spaces. We were never going to be um, found out in defence with two extra players on the pitch, he says confidently. Well, I mean, it was interesting, Jim, actually, though, because you think about it, we had two players extra on the pitch. And I, I have to be I can only assume that Reece Samick was... He was obviously struggling. Uh, and the bench was a bit of a... We, we The bench meant that we couldn't really take him off because the only alternative I think we had on the bench was Kyle, Kyle Moyle Kyle Moore, yeah um and I, again I think it becomes an issue if you start thinking oh we'll, oh, we'll move um uh we'll move the fullback to the wing and we'll move Moyle to it, it I don't know it's an interesting one I, I mean I don't know whether that maybe suggests they didn't they didn't trust Moyle or they felt that Reece Summit still had enough about him to to con- contribute but bearing in mind we had a two-man overlap for 10 minutes at every single uh set set piece we didn't throw it wide once, which is, uh, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, it rarely works like that in reality, though, doesn't it? It's like when it, when you've got a man up or two man up, when you force it, that's when you screw up. So I think I think we probably did the right thing. I think we, we weren't that wise either with, and again, maybe not having Ludlow, but decisions around whether to take points or kick to the corner. We, um, we were lucky. We were lucky we got another chance at the three points. Yeah. A little bit diff- more difficult to kick. But we were all, everyone I was stood with was saying, no, definitely, you need those three points at some point. Take them now. Yeah. Now is the time yeah. to take them. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, agreed. Yeah, and we won in a good position with two minutes to go. We easily have ended a different way. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, sorry. Yeah. But positives, yeah. I mean, it's, I, our, our team is good enough. We know that now off the back of the second half of last season. It's a top four team. When they're firing, it's a top two team. And we should, that WAS side isn't a strong side and we should be putting them away when we're playing our game. Um, so it's great that we did and it's great great that we saw that. And ultimately the five points is massive. But for me, the, the score is great, but there are more negatives than positives um, to take forward. And in a way, it's the sort of thing that we'd say is a, is a good position to be in. Because you don't want to be sort of winning your first game, not sure what there is to work on, and then you sort of come and stuck a bit later on. But we have to be starting games 
with how we want to play, how we want to be seen as Gloucester rugby, the way that we approach a game and, and everyone be on the same hymn sheet and play in that style of rugby. Um, but, you know, it's the start of the season. They might have introduced a few new things over the summer that haven't quite clicked yet that we, we're not really sure of. Um, but hopefully next time out, we can see a, see a bit more what we expect from the start. Yeah, and I think important to focus on a few, you know, we've said a few lads, a few guys didn't have their best game. Um, and again, I wouldn't fault them for effort. It just didn't come off. I think sometimes you see players try, once it starts going wrong, I think Ackerman was a perfect example, actually. You could see, and Jim kind of referenced it with the, maybe trying to lead by example, but actually what you need to be doing is just calming down a little bit and 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 doing the simple stuff rather than trying to win it from your own 22 in the 10th minute. Um, but there were some fantastic performances, I thought, uh, as well, uh, alongside it. Um, I mean, Freddie Clark, again, was superb, as he always is. Albert Tuasui came on uh, for Ben Morgan, who I thought actually started the game pretty well, Ben. I thought he'd... he'd um, he made some decent ground on a few on a few uh, runs, tackled well, and then got a bit of an eye injury. So we brought on Albert Tuasui for his home league debut, and uh, he ended up with the man of the match. Um, yeah, he did, he did yeah, right. He, he did. Yeah, he does look good. I, I think he's. I think we'll quite quickly see him as the preference to Morgan and Morgan coming off the bench, and that's like a natural transition between those two players. I think over the course of the season, hmm. but. It's funny, isn't it? We put out quite a, well, quite a week. I'd, I'd say a weakened back row to start this game, but back row we, when we've got all players returned from internationals and, and fit is just un, un, well, crazily strong. It is. Um, and then you've still got Zach and I, I come think, next year. Jesus. I think we're a few weeks off Pledry being in decent decent shape as well. So Yeah. Yeah, we'll come on to the Pledry thing. I think he's, and potentially, well, on, potentially we our game next week potentially because we don't know if it will happen yet but we'll come to that another, maybe a if, bit later yeah, if, it, if it happens he'll definitely play that because I don't yeah. know if you saw the interview I did yeah we're just giving uh, yeah, to him yeah, about, about yeah. how they're going to move him he made it quite yeah he made it quite clear that he's going to be playing in those games just to get the rugby under his belt but he looks like yeah. he's in pretty good shape yeah I don't think there's any concern about his injuries per se I think it's just getting fitness inside him and and going from there, um, one thing on, um, as you mentioned, Albert Tuasui, his, I think you're right. I think we we'll, we will very quickly see him be the uh, the starting eight, probably, uh, with Morgan coming off the bench. A word for Harry Taylor. Um, I thought he was again superb. Probably a few, a couple of extra penalties, probably too many in the first half, but um, I thought again tackled his heart out. Seemed to really. He, he's another player that you just think. I, I've got no concerns at all with him coming into the side. In a few years' time, he'll be another, I don't know, uh, Lewis Ludlow um, type player, Peter Buxton type player. Probably never going to make set the world alight, but he'll always be a consistent seven or eight every game, you know. Perfect squad, man. Yeah. I also think we, we should mention the subs that came on because they yes. did make a difference, I think. I Every thought, single one I thought, of them, didn't they? Yeah, I thought Jamal was great when he came on. Shashino is just an absolute beast. Val was, oh um, my word. Yeah, Val was back yeah, to Val. pretending he's a back row. Yeah, Val, I thought, I've, I mean, that 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 was really, I thought was good. I mean, the scrum wasn't weak. I thought the scrum did really well when it was Elvington and Balmain and, uh, and Singleton. I think Singleton struggled a bit at times. He had a couple of weird line-outs. Shashino had about one bad line-out. But um, Val and Jamal were, when they came on, I mean, it did help that they were only scrummaging against seven, but 
Christ almighty, there was that one scrum where Val did the old um, Newcastle yeah. Alan Shearer celebration, didn't yeah. he? <laughs> I, thought Wasp, I thought Wasp managed, they were clear, clearly had the weaker scrum even when we had the original front yeah. row on and they managed it really well. So when it looked like they're under the cosh, that's when there's a guy down, he's got a bit of a niggle, so medics come on, takes ages, gets reset, and then suddenly the next one's completely stationary. And it was a bit frustrating because it's one of those where you want to get them to pack down, go again, get a penalty. But, but yeah, I thought they their gamesmanship was quite good then. Yeah, I thought, I mean, Fraser had their, um, their loose head on toast. Uh, but I thought there, Lou said, equally on occasions, as you say, it was very clever. There was a penalty towards the end of the first half where I think we were on their line. We knocked it on. Um, they had a scrum. And, I'm, I, I, you know, it's a standard thing, isn't it? You say, all right, you made a mistake. Don't compound it with a penalty. And you knew, you knew before the ball was even put in. You knew what was going to happen. The ball was going to be put in. They're either going to bore in, they're going to drop it, they're going to do anything they can, and it's going to go free kick penalty to Wasps. And all you want to do then is just, just if you're Fraser or if you're that Gloucester pack, I know it's difficult, and I'm a, I, I'm in no way qualified to talk about the scrum in any great deal detail, but you've got to do your best to keep the bloody thing up because you knew what was coming. And fair play to Wasps, they they conned the referee um, and, and managed to get a penalty. But yeah, the 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 scrum encouragingly was a bit more dominant than we were against uh, Cardiff the week before, which we seemed to struggle in that game. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to just touch on in terms of uh, players, again, it's great to see Reece Summit back. A bit worrying that he's got that niggle maybe with his back. Um, I thought Ollie Thorley had a, a decent game, not obviously taping the same um, uh, headlines as, as Reece Summit, but I thought did really well carrying the ball. Uh, probably one error in the game where Singleton and I think Singleton was wide on an overlap. And I think Thorley just stuck his head down and went, right, I'm going. And there was actually quite a large overlap and not, I wouldn't say it's a running for Singleton, but it was a, it was a decent chance. Yeah. There was one, there was one um, tackle. I can't remember who it was that was tackled, but I think Thorley was in front. Maybe he passed, Thorley had made the pass, but Thorley, how he managed to, jump over the player, get round and come through the gate and protect the ball. Mm. He did yeah. superbly. And it was it was just inside um, the Wasps' half. And it was one of those situations where, actually, I think given the, the position in the game, if, if we'd have given away a penalty because, you know, for, for holding on, um, if, if Ollie hadn't have been able to protect that ball, it would have put Wasps right inside our 22 and, totally changed the pressure of the game at that time so he does he does a lot of work really off the ball doesn't he like he chases yeah. kicks really well um times times tackles when he's not gonna be up in the air with the ball yeah. well and yeah Who, I, was I it, think was it Thorley that made the hit on one of the kicks a bit like Lewis Ludlow yeah it was the it second try I think it led to eventually a second try wasn't it where it was a it was from a from a from a uh, an up and under box kick and oh. I think Thorley nailed the guy and then he dropped back and it's, it's funny, really, because well, he needs to do it because we don't play a style of rugby, ironically, no, no. That, <laughs> that, that, that gives our backs <laughs> space with the ball. No. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Ollie Frawley scoring some of the tries we saw a few seasons ago, but I think we're going to gonna have to change the way we play slightly. So hopefully we'll see that over the next few months. A bit of confidence. It's a confidence thing as well, isn't it? If we win our first few games or most of our first few games, 
and we're confident to go and play with the ball. Hopefully, we start to start to show how much ammunition we have got in that backline. Yeah. Yeah, our, back, our backline is the strongest I can remember it ever being man for man. Yeah, it's it, we've, we've got an incredibly strong squad, and now we've got that belief a little bit as well, a little bit of confidence um, after that second forty minutes. Um, obviously, we've got a bye week, which is a big is a big problem for momentum and league position. So it's it's kind of the potential that we might go under the radar a little bit because we're automatically going to be at least five points below where we could be um, in the table. Um, and of course, we've got a really hard game away at Saracens. So, hmm. when do we get Carreras and Alamano back after the bye week? Uh, when's the last autumn? When's the last international? Uh, what do they call it? The um, Southern Hemisphere games. Right? Aren't they done? No. No, I think they've got a couple no, more they, rounds left. They got Argent, um, Argentina. South Africa is this weekend, and then they're away. To South Africa the following weekend. Oh, blimey, it's dragging on. Um, yeah, so I think that's the um, the last one. Yeah, I think there's two two, two, two weeks, more weekends. Two weekends it. left, and then of course it, it then I, I, I unlike say uh, the English players where they've got a rest like May, even though we didn't play a game. Um, back in the furnace. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, but I think I remember last year that we did manage certainly we managed Carreras um, a fair bit. Uh, at the beginning of the season, um, and I, 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 I don't know. It's one of those weird ones. You, you've got to obviously manage these guys. You've got to make sure that they don't overplay. Um, it, it's it's a very very tough season. Uh, well, we've we seen know. a bit of that with some of the England players, haven't we? With um, the likes of Genge playing at the weekend, and it's, oh well, how come he can play and he play, he's an England player and all this? So I think it's like you say, it's that management, isn't it? We want you this week, but actually we'll rest you next week instead. I mean, I have to be honest, that that does annoy me that if, uh, all right, if Gloucester maybe are being a bit naive and we're saying, okay, yeah, we're going to follow it. And maybe Johnny May hasn't because he hasn't actually played any real rugby because of his, um, because of COVID. And I think he had a bit of a reaction and I think he had a bit of a shocker with his his COVID and he was struggling a little bit. But um, it does annoy me that some teams and some players are able to play and yet others aren't or aren't the clubs on. I think it should be just one rule for everyone. I don't see why, you know, if you want to play, you can play. Um, if a club doesn't want to do it, fine. But it, it seems a bit hit and miss. I don't know. It's, it just seems a bit wrong. Um, the, the, the final thing really on the on the game on Sunday, I uh, just want to reference, was the, the crowd. And I think, because it's been highlighted a few times, a, a couple of times I've noticed over the last few days about... Um, crowd sizes more generally i think this weekend is probably i'm hoping a bit of an anonymous anonymous anonymously yeah exactly um in the outside pressures and maybe outside world events possibly suppressed crowd a little bit um it's expensive though uh, you know our, our, you know russ wanted to look he, he was looking at getting a ticket and it was I think it was £35, £36 for the shed on a one-off. Um, it's an expensive day out on a Sunday. Uh, you've got family commitments. It's not ideal. Only, only you know, barely 12, not even 12,000 people, I think, on, on Sunday at King's Home. Um, the, shed, so, the shed seemed pretty busy. The shed was, um, yeah. I arrived an hour before kickoff, yeah. and I was impressed with how many people were already there. 
Uh, well, I, I wouldn't be concerned. I won't be concerned about it. First game of the season is always low, and we have the same conversation every year. And it's because there's still a lot of people on holiday. People haven't got into their winter routines. And uh, club put out today. There's been quite a significant increase in season tickets. Mm. Um, like and you still, yeah, you still sell season tickets at, the, at this point of year. So yeah, I suppose yeah, the key bit is, I think, I, I do think probably what we might find is we'll we'll find maybe a more a a, a larger core of support. So you'll have a slight, yeah, more people season ticket holders, but those people that are going to come on the odd day, the off chance, they're not going to do it as much just because it's just so expensive. Um, yeah, well, my, my personal view being quite far away is it's just so easy to watch it on TV. Yeah. Every single game, every single week. So, yes, I'd love to go down, but for a three-hour each-way trip, it's an entire Saturday written off plus... 45 quid for a ticket 15 quid on bits and bobs while you're there yeah and then the you know 400 pound on fuel yeah and then (laughs) fuel costs or trains even worse and that's me on my own so if you're a family or something you know it's a once a season expenditure for a lot of people Uh, and actually it's a once a season expenditure that probably isn't a far far off the you know the sort of cost of going to Alton Towers or something like that Mm. and yeah you know, if if that's what you're competing with, then actually the family will probably overall enjoy a day trip like that a bit more um, than than a couple of hours at King's Own. Yeah, yeah and you also guarantee the result. <laughs> and you tend to pick and choose your game when you do that as well. Yeah, and it's not going to be the first game of the season. No, unless it was Bath, possibly, and that yeah. would be you know you, you're kind of yeah. lucky if you get that. Um, we're going to just move on briefly away from Gloucester. We. I wasn't sure we would get to do this just because of um, how much time we got this evening. I know Snowy's got to be away at sort of the next five, 10 minutes, um, but we'll just quickly touch on uh, what's going on up the road um, in and our next opponent uh, in the Premier Premiership Cup, which is Worcester. So we, we mentioned last week uh, when it was uh, Jim and, and, and Russ and myself um, that uh, we, um, we did. We we didn't expect necessarily that uh, Worcester would survive um, potentially, uh, but then it turns out that um, there's a, a potentially a new buyer. But it now looks like that buyer might not go through either. So it, it is it is a worrying time for a club which has done a lot to expand the game and has done a lot to. Um, to, to you know increase rugby participation in the community i mean jim you mentioned that you know that um we've taken on a number of worcester staff recently yeah so um i think our new community manager is going to be the what he's i don't think he started yet but he's mm. come from worcester um uh, a friend of mine who was with the worcester community team for about 10 years he's already come across um and they're you know, actively looking to recruit some of the other guys who are, you know, very talented in their fields. And I do believe the Worcester community team um, have won quite a lot of awards. They've been very forward thinking, um, probably because they've had to be compared to Gloucester. Uh, Gloucester, uh, you know, Gloucester's got such history and such a, a wide reach that, you don't have to work particularly hard to enthuse the kids about Gloucester rugby, whereas in Worcester that isn't the case. Uh, and they've worked really, really hard engaging with their local communities. So I think um, if we want to 
if we want to get more people, more bums on seats, there's definitely lots to talk about um, getting rugby, you know, getting the kids playing at half time again, using that pitch. Um, and all the kids can come and they can have their 10 minutes of playing at King's Home and all their mums and dads can come and watch them if they buy a ticket. Mm. Um, and, and I, you know, you might, you might pick up a few more people that go, oh, do you know what? That was the first time I've been to King's Home. That was a really good experience. Um, and they'll, you know, they might buy a season ticket. They might be back on a semi-regular basis, whatever. But it, this used to happen, you know, quite a long time ago. And I think maybe COVID is one of the reasons things like that stopped. But hopefully all of that can, can come back. Yeah. I mean, Snowy, we've on several occasions talked about the finances and business of rugby and how kind of skewed it is. And probably, to be honest, not particularly profitable. Do you think, I mean, my, my argue, my concern is that I think there's enough people out there who probably could buy Worcester, could probably make it a going concern and, and keep and secure at least it's, you know, medium to long term future. But uh, they've got a, They're going to have a certain level they're going to hit. Do you have any concerns that that won't happen? I mean, my only concern is that there's a lot of chances out there and it does appear that that's one of the possibilities why this isn't, that hasn't gone through. Uh, what what's sad about Worcester that isn't the case with Wasps? I don't care so much about Wasps because they've been the masters of their own downfall. But when Worcester came up into the Premiership, they developed a system that was built around the community. Mm. So you could play club rugby at a low standard for Worcester, in effect. So they they had all these like builder teams, women's teams, disability teams, pitches around the ground, and the whole idea was that it was laying the foundations that then you have the elite team at, at the top of the pyramid. And that felt like a quite sustainable way of managing it. Yeah. But I think I think part of the problem is probably the the relaxation of the salary cap to compete with the French a number of years back. Yeah. With marquee players and everything like that. So the the amount of money that you it's challenging now because attendances and fans are roughly consistent across the whole league, right? You get between 7,000 and 14,000 fans, roughly, regardless yeah, of which side club yeah, you are. Yeah, depending on the side, around the it, basically. Yeah. yeah, it's not like monumentally different. Mm. So the amount of revenue that you can generate isn't monumentally different between the clubs. But the trouble is they're trying to eke out every single bit of percentage just to be able to afford the player salaries and the player wages. And that was made clear to us when we've spoken, spoken to Gloucester Rugby Management. Like mm. All the accountancy is based around, right, the first thing we have to do is spend the maximum amount we're allowed to on players. And then what can we get away with outside of that? And the margins are so tight. You have to manage it so carefully just to be able to keep enough people on in the ticket office or support staff or invest in a new PA system for the stadiums. They're, the trouble is they're working on far, far too tight margins. Yeah. Um, and for a club like Worcester that then have gone, because they're not performing well for a number of seasons in a row, their crowds have gone from 10, 11,000 down to six, 7,000. They just can't make enough money to fund the playing side of, of, what you have to in in Premiership rugby, and and if you can't fund it, you're going to get relegated. So then you start making choices like taking some loans in or making bad financial decisions because you're just in survival mode. And then this is where you end up at. 
Yeah, um, and, and it's been a bit of a. I mean, do you talk about the crowd size? Um, you look at the pricing at Worcester. It's a very expensive, comparatively Gloucester. I mean, you think we think Gloucester's expensive. Worcester's incredibly expensive. You're watching a inferior team in a very nice stadium. I mean, the stadium's a very nice place to go. Um, but it's it's a lot of money, and it becomes almost self perpetuated, isn't it? It's expensive, but we're not getting a lot out, uh, out of the the, the team. Um, yeah. the, it, it just, well, the, the stadium is a bit it's a bit like um, Sandy Park in that it's not that close to Worcester. You know, it is just no, that, that is a big issue, I think, probably. Well, it is a big issue yeah. but in the in the it doesn't it's 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 a bit of a pain because you can't really park around there. But in theory, it should be great for Worcester because you've got a captive audience. But yeah. put put on the entertainment pre-match, post-match hmm. and make it a day out or the best part of a day rather than I mean, the trouble is a it's not hours. It's just not a great it's it's not a great offering no. because you're gonna you're expecting to lose most of the times you go. It's, it's it's a bit out of a city, so it's it's like a big day out. Again, you might go to a few games a season. They don't have that big a hardcore no. sort of season ticket support. Four, five I don't think it's that. we've discussed ticket prices before. It's a difficult one because they the reality is they've probably found their sweet spot of profit. What it, and whatever that pricing is, so that means that they they accept a lower crowd because there's enough people that are going to pay the ticket price regardless. Whereas if they reduce the ticket price, they increase the crowd by X percent, but it's not not it enough to cover match it. the percentage. Yeah. Of, so, so you've got that whole thing to play play off. The, I think what's I think what's clear is that Cecil clearly kept the club going with his own finances for yeah, a period he bank of rolled time. it didn't he he bank rolled it basically and, and yeah, that's yeah. a dangerous situation well this um, is but I do, exactly I, do I do I do I do think premiership rugby need to the system works for a few clubs at the minute and even they're quite quite tight and that's your Gloucester Leicester Northamptons really is about it Exeter. and for everyone else yeah. Exeter yeah and for everyone else they're they are working on the edge so they're finding different ways to finance it, or they've got personal money going in that's that's bankrolling it, and it's a it's a recipe for disaster as soon as someone pulls the plug, or the economy turns, or or anything like that. So, I, I it's it's difficult because it's very hard to reverse salary cap, like start paying players less. But I I think it, it was wrong to react to the threat of French money the way we did because. I, I think making sure English players had to play in England was a very good step, but we didn't lose many players, even those ones that weren't up for international recognition to the French in reality. Yeah. Um, the other option, of course, is whether we do something around sort of central funding that's distributed so that every club gets at least a baseline amount of money. Well, that's, um, that, that goes back to the original, the original sort of deal that was made was because originally when premiership rugby was or premiership professional rugby was created in England, the original idea would have been kind of in the similar way to what Wales eventually did, which is central contracts. They're the all cricket, basically central contracts. Uh, and then those players are contracted to England, but then leased back, loaned back to the clubs. Now at the time, the clubs had all the power and retain that power as part of the premier of, the, of those early stages of professionalism i think 
it's probably a little bit too late to stick the genie back in the bottle, but it might need to be done on the basis that there might not be any other alternative because if we lose three, four clubs in the next two years, what are you going to do? I, I don't like central contracts, but I think we can do more to even out the the money and reduce the cost of players full stop because I don't... there. With, there's a perceived threat that we're going to lose players to overseas that isn't real, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think players can be played less. And the, the way the pay structure works at the minute anyway is you've got 80% of your squad that aren't on great money. And then you've got two or three or maybe four players that are on very large sums of money. And that's the challenging, that's the challenging thing for each club is paying yeah. those big sums. Yeah, agreed. Um, Final word on the weekend and something that uh, something that was mentioned on Twitter, uh, which is the Gloucester Rugby app. Jim. <laughs> um, doesn't work, does it? Um, uh, no. And to be honest, it very rarely did. RefLink, you had to leave the screen on. You couldn't just have the app working in the background with it. Yeah, in the I mean, Jesus. RefLink. So that's clearly pants. Yeah. Um, the Wi-Fi. Just well, the Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi, yeah, the, it's been hit and miss, and I think it depends on which part of the ground you're in. But I've got a mobile phone with a data connection, so I'm just not yeah. going to bother. Uh, yeah, the, you know, people were voting for player of the match on minute two. Yeah, things like that. It's just yeah. like no, I'll be honest, I can't remember the last time I even tried to use it. Uh, I think... any, anything like that, it's like just make a little web page. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, Snowy, you can the... easily change. You can easily, yeah. Well, you, what, would you... You, what would you, what would you know about? I mean, Gloucester apps, Snowy. Exactly, Snowy. Come on, mate. What do you know? Bring back Andrew Gloss, yeah. the most popular Gloucester app there's ever been. What was the? <laughs> what were you in that meeting, Snow? Because I know I, I, we were, we were part of the, um, um, the, the focus group, and I'm pretty sure there was. I can't remember if you were in the meeting about the app or it was referenced at one point in one of those focus groups. And I can't remember if you were in that meeting or not, but we all just to sort of finish on the finish on, it makes a change. We're not going to have a go at the current Gloucester leadership. This is the previous Gloucester leadership. Yeah. Um, one of the things we, we all thought Stephen Vaughan was a fantastic communicator. He was very good at um, relaying ideas, telling us what the plans were. Uh, I thought he was very good at, um, communicating with the fans in the, those those forums etc but if we count out all the things that have been crap in terms of decisions made we're on the third i think now we're on the third iteration of a tannoy system and there were two under stephen Vaughan. we are now on a totally artificial pitch because the previous one which was done under stephen Vaughan, failed because they didn't do the underworld they didn't do the groundwork properly and there was flooding and and, and issues there we've got an a App. It was a, a, a market leading app that didn't work from the start and is now totally being discontinued by Gloucester. Um, and you can, if you're on it, you can keep it, but you can't even download it from I, I, iTunes or whatever. Um, and then we've got on top of that, and then you think, well, when we, when he left the club, we had record amount of debt, record amount of, uh, of in terms of lossly profit. I, I like the bloke, but I don't think we can really say at the end of it that no. it, it was a shining example of of um, of commercial leadership. 
we're just saying about how money is tight and there's yeah there's a lot of things that we just spunk money on down the drain a lot of money spent on a lot of things that went wrong um but you can't blame no one can blame us about the badge we didn't know even though it was <laughs> even though it was entirely the point of the focus group but we just didn't realize it at the time anyway um <laughs> on that note so we might be playing worcester next wednesday we Hoping we're playing well. Hopefully, we need Hopefully. that game, don't we? Really, we do. It's, it would be a really useful game because it's a Premiership Cup, um, and um, it also would be nice to actually play them uh, at home. Just look at quick update on Worcester, by the way, because I've just been on their fans mm. forum. So, yeah, of so course. on Company's House, it was all changed earlier today to say that it's the new owners mm. and that the um, the deadlines and everything that they had to service their debt had all been crossed off and done. Mm. But then Worcester have released a statement saying that it's not done at all and it's still with the lawyers. And apparently it was a five o'clock deadline for the to pay the suppliers. So it's yeah. all a bit up in the air still. Well, I think it tells yeah. you everything you need to know about the current owners, doesn't it? Unfortunately. Uh, and they also did, they didn't go in their pockets, did they, to sort of no, take? I don't think they did. Uh, and also for those who are interested as we as we leave it, it's 33 to 7 to England at half time in the women's rugby. Um, so expect another 80 points there, I think. Um, right, on that note, uh, thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, this podcast, hopefully, will take about five minutes to edit and will be available by about quarter to nine. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers. Nice one. Cheers, guys. Bye, bye.